Uh, well, I grew up in a large family, one of six. I'm the eldest, uh, five boys, one girl. Everyone says, poor girl, don't believe a word of it. Um, <laughs> we call her princess, that's pretty much right. Uh, but growing up in a large family, uh, savouring food was never, never a thing. It was just eating food uh, because people would eat your food off your plate if, you weren't, if they perceived you weren't doing it far, fast enough. Even if you were saving something for later, this is mine. Don't touch it. <laughs> See that? And I'm putting it in the fridge. I'm going to come back and eat it later. I guarantee you come back, nothing but a cold plate, a used fork. Uh, it had been eaten. Savouring was not a thing in our house when I was growing up. But in our passage today, Paul is calling on us to savour. Paul's call in our passage is to savour the saviour. Other people use terms like delight in Jesus or taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, how do we do that? How do we savour the saviour? Uh, how do we dine on the divine? Uh, that's what we're going to take a look at today. Jesus, uh, Paul's first instruction on how to savour the saviour is to rejoice in Christ. Take a look at verse 1. In verse 1, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul says, rejoice. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Reminds me of that dreadful song from the 80s, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, 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 again I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Again, I, do you remember that one? And it got worse, didn't it? Because he sang it in rounds. All right, this section do it. And now this section, oh, it's dreadful. <laughs> but Paul's rejoicing is not an annoying repetition, but a fully orbed delight in the good news of Jesus. He knows the assurance of placing your faith in Jesus. He knows the confidence and the hope in this life and the assurance of life to come by placing his faith in Jesus. And he says, I rejoice. And so as you look, as we remember Philippians, let's, he rejoices in the Philippians gospel partnership. He rejoices in the advance of the gospel. He rejoices in the progress of the church. He rejoices in his gospel service to them. He is more than happy to say it again, to remind them again, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. You see what he's saying? Rejoice in Jesus because he is our hope. He is our assurance. He is our confidence. This gospel delight, this savouring the saviour is a defining characteristic in Paul's life and ministry. And he says that savouring the saviour should be a defining characteristic in the life of all God's people. He says, uh, now notice that rejoicing in Christ is more than a good thing to do. Say, take a look at the end of verse 1. What does he call it? Someone yell it out. What does he call it? It's a what? Safeguard. It's a safeguard. How is rejoicing a safeguard? How does rejoicing protect you? Is it a safeguard by conjuring up a positive attitude? You know, if we sing rejoice in rounds long enough, we'll all be happy. Is that how it does? Does it stop me from thinking about bad stuff? Does it drown out the negative voices in my life? Is that what he's talking about? That's not what he says. Paul doesn't say rejoicing is a distraction. He's saying rejoicing is a safeguard. It stops you plummeting to your death. 
It keeps you from leaving the path of life. It prevents you from stumbling off the narrow way. Rejoicing in Christ is a safeguard from being enticed away from the only one who can give you everlasting life. Rejoicing in Christ will stop you from being lured to your death by fine-sounding arguments or by aesthetically pleasing practices. Take a look at verse 2. Uh, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. See, rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in Christ is a safeguard against false avenues of hope. Uh, my favourite cafe in Cronulla, the place I was at just before we moved here, uh, had a sign out the front, said, very politically incorrect, said, pretend it's the 90s and leave your dog outside. <laughs> yes. Now I know I've just offended probably 90% of the uh, population here. But Paul's attitude to dogs is the same. They're not fur babies to be coddled. Uh, they are a creature to be avoided. Paul is not talking about animals but heretics. These dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh are sincere religious people who are teaching that Jesus is not enough. You need to do more. Good start. Good to believe in Jesus, but if you want to be a true person, a true member of God's family, there's more to do. They are teaching Jesus plus something else. It's a reference to circumcision, the mandatory sign of Old Testament saints that you were set apart for God, cut off for God. Unless you get bits chopped off, you are not a full member of God's family. But physical circumcision is no longer a a requirement it has been fulfilled in Christ it was a sign pointing to a greater circumcision a circumcision of the heart done by the Holy Spirit in all those who follow Jesus the Holy Spirit's the one who works in us to open our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is to enable us to have life-saving faith in him and so uh, that is the true circumcision it was a point uh, it was a sign pointing to a coming reality it is now obsolete. If you're going on holidays and you see a billboard uh, for the resort you're going to, you never pull over and set up shop at the billboard, do you? You know, oh, we're here, kids. Jump out and stand in the shade of the billboard and look at the great picture. Woohoo, enjoy your holiday. That's not what you do. That's just a sign and a reminder you're on the right track. All right, we'll keep going till we get to the real place. By requiring physical circumcision and all that went with it, these guys are parking at the sign and they're getting ready for a holiday. They are not rejoicing in what Christ has done. They're not taking confidence in the work that Christ has completed on the cross on behalf of all his people. They are saying Jesus is not the final destination. You need more than him. His sacrifice is not enough. And Paul goes off because this is false teaching, which is interesting, isn't it? Because earlier in, the, earlier in his letter, uh, he mentioned teachers who taught the gospel with false motives. And he said, oh, well, what does that matter? Big deal if my reputation gets a bit soiled. I don't care as long as they're preaching Christ. But if someone is trying to add something to Christ or take something away from Christ, uh, then uh, he's giving it both barrels they are sincerely stuffing up the message of the gospel. You see, they are, they are sincere, 
religiously sincere. They have this great heritage, but they have failed to see the truth of Jesus and it hasn't modified their understanding of being in the people of God. We need to have the same discernment when it comes to our day. What does it mean to be a true member of Christ's family? Uh, we need to be very careful how we assess valid gospel ministry. The measure of our faithfulness will not be the size of our church. It won't even be the sincerity of our min uh, ministries. It will be how are we rejoicing in, in Christ Jesus? How are we pointing others to Christ Jesus? How are we enabling them to hear the good news of Christ Jesus? How are we upholding him in all that we do? We measure our health by how we savour the sufficiency of the Saviour. Are we a choice? Uh, are we a church who rejoices in Christ? Is Jesus on our lips in our conversations with one another or just our singing? Uh, is Christ likeness the thing we praise and uphold? Is that the thing we pray most for our kids? Not that they would get a really good job, but ultimately that they would be followers of Jesus and push them towards those things. Is our collective and individual delight the truth that we have been called to belong to Christ and that apart from him, we truly believe there is no lasting life? Such rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard against false teachers, false hope, false gospel because we see and rejoice in the fact that Jesus has done it all, that it is nothing but the blood of Jesus which makes us whole. Take a look at verse 3. The true people of God rejoice in Christ. You see where he says that? For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in, boast in Christ, that apart from him, apart from his work, uh, we are lost. Our hearts were dead. But by the Spirit, he has made us alive. We are now able to live, to please, and to serve him. Apart from Jesus and faith in him, we cannot please God. So we boast. Uh, when I'm faced with anything that challenges my faith in Jesus and the sufficiency of his sacrifice, I need to see the beauty and the power of what he has done for me and the truth of his glory and, the mag and his majesty, which will one day be seen in all its fullness. Do you look forward to that day? The day of Christ, when the majesty of Jesus will be seen in all his fullness. When you're feeling like a failure, when you're feeling like a fake, delight in the fact that you are a true child of God, not by what you can do, but by virtue of what Christ has done. It's, it's a great thing to recognise that you're a, a sinner who needs saving. Do you, you know, when, when I realise I'm a sinner, sometimes I'm encouraged to be uh, discouraged. Oh, I'm a sinner. But Jesus said that he came to seek and to save sinners. And so if you recognise that you're a sinner, that's a, that's a reason for rejoicing if you trust in Jesus. He came to save me. I think we, I've said it before, 
I'll probably say it again. We need to recover the lost art of meditation, of meditating on God's word, of reading the truth of what it says and then how do I live that out? How does that impact my thinking? How does that impact my confidence uh, before, uh, before God? How does it help me to, to live in a way which rejoices in my Saviour, savours my Saviour? I knew I'd get that messed up uh, when I wrote that line. Uh, rejoicing reminds you that there is nothing more glorious, nothing more worthy, nothing which should grab my attention more or my desire more or my passion more than the saving truth of the gospel, the glory of the risen Lord Jesus. And so Paul says, rejoice, because the more we rejoice in Christ, uh, the less we will be lured away uh, by things which lead to death. So that's the first thing, rejoice in Christ. Second, rest in Christ, verses 4 to 9. Because it's not you, it's Jesus. Now from verse 4 to 9, Paul is reflecting on resting in Jesus, savouring the Saviour through appreciating the extent of his work for us. Take a look at verse 4. Uh, so he's just been talking about confidence in the flesh. And then in verse 4 he says, Though I myself have reason for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. If life is a 100-metre sprint, I am Usain Bolt, says Paul. No, well, I don't know, whoever the reigning champion is at the moment, but uh, no one can beat me. Uh, Paul was a pin-up boy for Judaism, the quintessential Israelite, by nature and by nurture. We see that, see that in verses 5 and 6. Take a look. So the first part of verse 5 all these things were by nature made him an Israelite. Nothing, he had nothing to do with any of this. Verse 5, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, he had nothing to do with that. Uh, he was born into a devout Israelite family. Uh, he was uh, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, so that's by nature perfect. By nurture, look at this. Uh, it, the rest of verse 5, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, I worked hard at being good at the law. I was set apart for the law. Verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I did everything in my power uh, to, to, to work hard at being one of God's people. I was, I was a quintessential Israelite by nature and by nurture. Uh, he is the celebrity student. Every school has a kid. Uh, you know the kid? Really good at the academic part. Really good at sport. Really good looking. Yeah, that wasn't me. Uh, but it was Paul. That's Paul. If anyone ever had any reason to trust in his own efforts, any reason to feel confident about what he could do from a human perspective, it was Paul. Uh, there was a, there's a school in Sydney called James, uh, James Roos Agricultural School. I think it tops the ATAR rating every year in the HSC, uh, the Year 12 exams. Uh, so the highest mark you can get is 99.9. .9. Uh, the students at that school, I'm led to believe, uh, talk about their marks. Oh, I got 0.7. I got 0.8. The 99's just assumed. Uh, that's how good the school is. Uh, Paul's saying, I got 0.9. I got 99.9. .9. I got full marks, but it was all in the wrong test. I was the furthest out in front, 
but I was running in the wrong direction. Having met Jesus, now I realise what a loss that was. I was trusting in the wrong things, expending my energies in the wrong direction, relying on the wrong stuff, stuff that would not save. I was wearing little floaties in the Sydney to Hobart, just in case. Forgot to read, this is not a flotation device. Things that would, on the last day, disappoint and result in shame were my hope. But take a look at verse 7. In verse 7 he says, But whatever were gains to be, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Those things got in the road of me seeing my need for Jesus and what he had won for me. Uh, Now I rest in the Lord Jesus. I rest in Christ. That's what he's saying in verse 8 and 9. Take a look at verse 8 and 9. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Just take a look at verse 9 for a little bit. Paul is saying, uh, it is not a righteousness that I earn, but it's a righteousness, a right standing with God that I receive. I have been declared right with God because of my faith in, in Christ. I trust Christ when he's saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I trust him in that. And so God declares that I am right with him. He declares that I am a child of God. Uh, That is where my hope is found. Can you see why that is a great reason for hope? Reflect on your Christian life over the past... Christian life is a funny way of saying it. The whole of life is Christian life. But reflect on your spiritual life over the last week. Would you have confidence to face God on the last day based on your spiritual performance this week? Now, I'm a Presbyterian minister, so of course my answer is no. (laughs) absolutely not absolutely not but Paul is saying my confidence is not in my own effort but in my trust in Christ and what he has done and so in verse 5 he says I can verse 8 I consider them all rubbish actually the NIV softens that a little bit Um, they say rubbish or garbage original language is closer to poo I consider it poo Uh, We've got a big bush that grows right near our deck in our house and um, the other night a possum jumped out of the bush and ran onto the deck and uh, Joe and I were right there and one of us screamed and Joe said, stop screaming, it's embarrassing. Um, So then I chopped the bush right back, I chopped the tree right back away from the deck. Anyway, we came home from dinner last night and we walked up onto the deck and I noticed that right on the thing near the tree, right on the railing near the tree, it's a big pile of possum poo. It's like he said, this is what I think of your pruning. (laughs) I received that message. Uh, Paul has said, that was derision. I didn't take that as a present. I didn't take it inside. I didn't treasure it. Flicked it off. It's like a baby's nappy. You change a baby's nappy. You do not put that thing in the kitchen bin, do you? No. You put it... These days, they've got a scented bag, lemon-scented bag. You put it in the bag, and then you take it outside, you all the way down to the rubbish bin, and you plonk it in there. I don't want that thing anywhere near me. 
That's what Paul says. As far as human effort, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. I do not prize it. I do not delight in it. I do not savour it. It's the very opposite. If our hope is in our abilities, we will have no peace, no comfort, no rest. Savour the Saviour by resting in his work done for you. Developing a heart which delights in our Saviour reflects on what he's done for us. Rest in the Saviour. And the final thing Paul says is relish Christ. So what do we do? We rejoice in Christ, we rest in Christ, we relish Christ. Relish is an underused word these days, isn't it? Relish. If I had a restaurant, I think I'd call it relish. Probably someone's probably already done that. But um, it's just such a rich word. Uh, You savour the Saviour as you live a life of response to him, delighting in him, relishing him. That's what Paul's talking about in verses uh, 10 to 11. Take a look. Uh, I want to know Christ. And consider, how is Paul writing this? I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's a real sense of engagement, is it? Paul's words here, to know him, to experience him, to share with him in his sufferings, to take on his characteristics. It's a sense of purpose and determination, a desire to grow in understanding and experience Jesus and and, and his life at work in you. Seems to me that this is a genuine response of love. I I, I had the image of a, a young Christian couple engaged to be married, Uh, And you know what these young people are like. They just want to hang out all the time and get to know one another. Uh, But in the context of a Christian relationship, that only takes them so far. But they still spend heaps of time together. They still spend a lot of time talking about things and talking on the phone, even though they've just been spending hours together. Uh, They want to know each other. And they look forward to the day when they'll know each other more fully, more intimately. I think that's the sense Paul has here, actively pursuing relationship with Jesus, not the full and final expression. That is to come. That's where it's all headed. But in the meantime, desiring to know his his precious saviour, savouring the saviour. I want to know Christ, to experience him at work in my life. Is that something you relate to? Do you want to know Christ more? Do you want to experience him more at work in you to, to grow in your understanding? That, uh, that line out of uh, the Dead Poet Society, suck the marrow out of life. I love sucking the marrow out of a big beef bone. Have you done that? So good. So good. I don't know what the ve- uh, vegan version of that is. Sucking the seeds out of an eggplant or something. <laughs> Whatever you enjoy. That's the sense, isn't it? To know Christ more, to experience him more. I do. I really do want that. But sometimes I don't feel like I want that. And so I have to pray, Lord, help me to want to want to love you. Help me to want to want to delight in you, to experience you. I think that's a great prayer. To see the same power that rose Christ from the dead to be at work in me, changing me, shaping me, nurturing me to likeness in Christ. That I would more naturally desire 
what he desires, that my life would be shaped by his character. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. I trust you with my very life to your glory and honour. The men's breakfast, uh, Doug was surprised when he was interviewing me to uh, find out that I knew who Renoir and Picasso were. I'm not a cultured South African like himself, so it was a bit of a surprise for him. But um, actually, luncheon of the, of the boating party. I don't know if you know that, uh, that painting. It's done by Renoir, my favourite painting. And uh, when we were first married, we had absolutely no money, but one um, birthday, Joe bought me a print of Luncheon of the Boating Party, and that hung proudly on our wall. It's like a snapshot of friends, and uh, in, the, in, the, in the picture, uh, there's a group of friends, and they're all on a balcony, and they're overlooking a lake with sailing boats, and it looks like they've been out sailing in the morning, and they've just finished this sumptuous lunch. There's leftovers on the table, and half-drunk bottles of wine, and... People are just enjoying one another's company. There's a contentment and a, and a real camaraderie. It's a beautiful picture. I think it captures it. Renoir's done a great job of capturing it. Uh, anyway, uh, Joe and I were in Paris uh, one time, a, bit, uh, a fair while later, and uh, we were looking everywhere for luncheon of the boating party because I wanted to see it. Then I learned that it's not in Paris. It's over in Washington. Uh, <laughs> so then uh, a few years later, I was in Washington, and I took the trip. And I went out to this place where it was and I stood in front of it, absolute awe. It was much bigger than my print in, uh, in our lounge room, much bigger, much brighter. Uh, it was just magnificent. And I could do nothing but stand and admire uh, the ingenuity of Renoir, the creator, uh, to, uh, to, to, to uh, enjoy the fruits of my search to marvel at the impact that this painting was having on me. Uh, it was better than I could imagine. But I couldn't do anything other than just savour. Uh, I couldn't add anything to it to make it better. If I added anything to it, it would just take away from it. I couldn't take anything from it because uh, I would do the same. Uh, it was better than I could have imagined. It had a deeper impact on me than I could have imagined. But do you see that in this example, the truth of savouring the Saviour is much the same? Coming to understand his glory in a fuller way, in a growing way, in a way which uh, helps you to appreciate him more. It's an active engagement in living your life in Christ, for Christ, to know Christ and to experience Christ that prepares us for heaven. To savour his beauty that through him alone we are given the authority to be called the children of God, heirs with Christ and eternal life. Let me encourage you to savour the Saviour.